0: Amen. So Acts Acts chapter two. Um, we've been plying away in the and here in the book of Acts, chapter two. And we guys remember last week we finished and there in verse twenty four. So we're gonna we're gonna pick up where we left off. So where so where are we at as of now? You know, so where are we at so far? Acts chapter two. It's it's the day of Pentecost, you know, which is a Jewish feast that takes place fifty days after the after the the Sabbath, the Passover Sabbath. Here we are. There's 120 believers who have now received what Jesus told them to wait for, which is which is a promise of of the Father, the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you guys remember, there in Acts chapter one, that Jesus spoke to them right before He ascended, He He told them, "Tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high." And He goes on to explain to them that 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 this power from on high, and this promise of the Father, is a is a coming upon, is a baptism with the Holy Spirit. You know, so this was a, a new dynamic that the, that, the, that the early church was going was gonna to operate in. They had already received the Holy Spirit there in John chapter 20. As, as the Lord, when He resurrected, it says that He breathed on them. And He told them, receive the Holy Spirit. So at that moment, they had already received the Holy Spirit. They're already indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And now they're in experience this coming upon the Holy Spirit. So the believers now, the, the, one, the 120 believers that were there in the upper room, they have now received what Jesus had, had promised them and, and, and told them to wait for and as a result of this, they, it says that they spoke in other languages and other tongues and other dialects. Addressing the devoted religious Jews who came from all other surrounding nations to worship God there in Jerusalem. Again, this, this, this Feast, of, this feast of, of, of Tabernacle, also known as the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament. You know, so it, different Jews would, would, would come from, from all over the place as, as the Jewish nation was scattered all over the place. They would come over for passover and most of them would, would stay around those 50 days with family members or wherever they could they would, they would stay there in jerusalem from their from their hometown they would stay in jerusalem and they would wait those 50 days so they could celebrate the feast of passover with their brethren so about what tells us there in the previous chapter that 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 they're in jerusalem that there was devout men devoted men you know meaning that there were there were students of the word. they were they were just devoted students God's word, religious, traditional, Jewish men, you know, definitely, you know, they, they, were, they, were, they were strong in the word. And it says that as they were there, that the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, comes upon the believers, comes upon the 120 who were there in the upper room. And it says that each, each one starts, starts speaking their own dialects. You know, and the, and the people begin to marvel, the, re, the religious people begin to marvel because they recognize, hey man, aren't these Galileans who are speaking our own dialects, who are speaking our own language? mean, hey, aren't these, you know, natural, untaught, untrained, ordinary, blue-collar, unschooled guys who are speaking our, our language, our dialects? You know, so they began to marvel and, and there was a, 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 mix, a mixed response in the crowd. When some of the crowd said, you know, what could this mean? You know, and they were sincerely asking and questioning and inquiring, saying, man, what's going on here? And, and the second half of the crowd, you know, they were mocking And, said, and they were saying, ah, you guys are just drunk. You know, what's, what's going on? There? These guys are drunk. You know, and, and this is an act of, you know, of drunkenness. You know, they're full of new wine. That's what they said. And we see that, that, that Peter gets up to address the crowd's mixed responses to what they just witnessed. And we'll pick it up here in verse 22. And I'll start in verse 22 for context. And it says that, that Peter continues to say, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, you know, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put him to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So we see again that, that, that as this crowd, you know, they have a mixed response. Peter gets up and he begins addressing the crowd, you know, and he pretty much tells them, hey, what's going on here? We're not drunk. Like like some of you guys say, they say, it's, it's only it's only the third hour, meaning it would have only been 9 nine a.m. Because for the Jews, their day starts at 6 in the morning. He said it's only the third hour. It's only 9 a.m. You know, one, you know, the, the, the traditional Jews, religious Jews, they don't begin to eat until until the third hour. And plus, you know, it still would have been too early for the wine to be fermented throughout the day. So they're saying, it's not because it's not we're drunk. You know, and he goes on to tell them, but what you're seeing now is, is, is what the prophet Joel spoke about. And he goes on to say that, 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 that what they're seeing now, what they're experiencing, what they're witnessing, was a, was a promise of the Father spoken of by Joel in the Old Testament, which was the, the gift of the Holy Spirit coming upon all flesh, coming upon all believers. Then Peter goes on to tell them there, verse 25, it says, Men of it, uh, says For David said concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to give to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. So we see that, that Peter had just addressed the crowd by confirming to them that Jesus of Nazareth was, had risen from the dead. You know, and, and no doubt the, the crowd there at Jerusalem had already heard of the resurrection of Jesus. I mean it had only been 50 days since the Passover. It had only been 50 days since, uh, since Jesus was crucified. You know, Jesus was, he wasn't just some ordinary guy. I mean it's, the Bible tells us that, 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 that fame of him spread through all of Jerusalem and Judea and, and, and to, the, to the surrounding nations there. You know, so it, this wasn't a foreign thing to them i mean that these guys were again devout jews they had been there for the passover and probably some sometime before you know they had heard about this jesus you know there was great controversy going going on about jesus and we see that peter addresses them and he's confirming he's telling them hey this jesus of nazareth you know he's risen from the dead and again no doubt this crowd there that he's addressing had already heard of the resurrection of jesus you know this man of god this famous teacher this this famous rabbi you know who had been crucified some 50 days prior now you could just imagine the, the, the crowd. You know, I mean, they had heard the rumors and, and were probably wondering if it was true. I mean, this isn't something that, 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 that they took lightly. You know, this, this 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 man Jesus. You know, who some were claiming to be the Messiah, who who some were claiming to be the Son of God, who who, who you know, who some were claiming to, to, to be that the promised King. You know, there was a mix. There was a mixed response. You know, in the crowd uh, about Jesus. You know, so, so now, no doubt, these guys were, were probably still wondering about him. You know, again, 50 days had passed since he had been crucified. There they are in, in Jerusalem still about to, about to now now uh, celebrate their, their next feast, the Feast of, of Pentecost. And you could just imagine as these thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews, or religious Jews, were there in Jerusalem. You know, I mean, uh, I definitely believe that the Holy Spirit was already convicting them of their sin, was already convicting them of what they had done, was already convicting them, you know, about, about the Christ, the Messiah, whom... whom whom they had crucified, and Peter's just pretty much just, just just going straight to the point, you know. And again, no doubt they were they were thinking about him. I mean, keep in mind that that, that last Passover that they had just celebrated was like no other Passover ever before. You know, there there were significant things that happened on that Passover. You know, it, it was one that they would never forget, and that no doubt they were still talking about 50 days afterwards. It's significant, and it's and it's and it's uh, it's unique. This Passover is unique. You know, because of what happened on that day, there's a few, you know, supernatural things that happened that day as, as Jesus was crucified. So you know that he was crucified on Passover. Matthew 27, 45 tells us that, that from the 6th hour to the ninth hour, meaning from noon till 3 p.m., that there was a darkness all over the land. So from noon till 3 p.m., there was this, this darkness all over the land as, as Jesus was there hanging on the cross. I mean, and we read that, you know, we kind of tend to just read right past it. And you, know, and you give it, you don't pay much mind. But I mean, when, when the Bible says that there was this darkness over the land. I mean, this is like going outside your house at 2 in the morning darkness. You know, and, and for that to happen from noon till 3 p.m. I mean, it would have been extremely rare. It would have been extremely, you know, uh, uh, odd for them. So that's already one red flag. Again, the Bible tells there in Matthew 27, 15, 52. It says that Jesus... When he that he cried out with a loud voice and he gave us he gave up his spirit and it says that at that moment you know it says that at that moment when, when, when the lord cried out and gave up his spirit it says that the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom another supernatural act that happened at, at the at the at the crucifixion of the lord now this veil wasn't like a curtain like, like the one that's on the door you know it wasn't this little cloth that could just be torn you know but the bible tells us according to the dimensions given to us there in nexus and leviticus that this that, that that this uh that this veil would have been anywhere from like 10 to like 18 inches thick it would have been like a sliding door you know and the bible tells us at that, that very moment when jesus cried out you know and he gave and he gave his spirit that this temple that this temple veil was torn from top to bottom i mean something like that doesn't just happen you know and, and go unnoticed definitely all the religious guys were talking about it they were maybe kind of you know scared about it they were telling everyone about it this is something that doesn't happen all the time another thing that happens is, uh, again there in matthew 27 15 52 it says that after the t- the temple veil was torn it says that the earth and the rocks were split now you it, it, imagine the sound of that you know it, it, imagine just being there you know there you see jesus crucified the start the earth starts quaking, the earth starts shaking, and it says that the rocks began to split. Now you could just imagine the sound of that. I don't know if you guys have ever been at a bonfire and you throw stones in the in the in the fire. You know, sometimes they get so hot that they split and it sounds like a firework, man it sounds like a firecracker. Now these were little stones that, that, that split, you know, but they were huge boulders that were splitting. I mean you could just imagine the earth shaking, you know, boulders splitting, these loud pops everywhere, you know the 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 the, the skies were dark. You know, the temple veil was torn. More, moreover, it goes on to say that the graves of the saints who had died were opened. And they appeared to many there at Jerusalem. At the moment that Jesus was crucified, it says that the, that, that the graves of those who had, who had died, the saints who had died were opened. And these guys came out and they, started beginning, they began to appear to people there at Jerusalem. Not something that happens at every Passover. It wasn't a typical Passover. It wasn't one that, that they just kind of brush off. You know, even 50 days later, they would have still been talking about this. They would have still been wondering. Matthew 27, 54 says that even the Roman centurion and those who were with them, which were probably 100 men because centurion means a rule over 100. So it says that even the Roman centurion and those who were with them, when they saw these things, it says that they feared greatly and they said, Truly, this was the Son of God. With an, exclamation, with an exclamation point. It says, truly, this was the Son of God. So if even the Roman centurions, you know, recognized, man, this had to be the Son of God. These guys weren't religious guys. They weren't Jewish. They, they you know, they weren't believers. But even even just seeing the things that happened around them, even that caused them to to, to fear greatly and just say, man, this had to be the Son of God. So it wasn't something that the, that the crowd there, that the people there in Jerusalem and Judea, wasn't something that they just kind of took lightly and just brushed off as of, oh, that was another, that was a good Passover, right? Oh, man, that was a, that was a good feast. That was a good one. On to the next one. No. And, and and again, definitely even fifty days later at the at the feast at the Feast of Pentecost, you know, no doubt these same Jews would have still been talking about it, would have still been wondering about it. If they weren't talking about it, then for sure it was in their hearts still. And now and now Peter here is here addressing it, addressing what's already in their hearts. The previous verses there in verse 22 and 33 of Acts chapter 2, Peter points out to the crowd that they themselves knew of all the miracles, of all the wonders, of all the signs that Jesus had done in their midst. He says you yourselves know. So he confronts them by reminding them that, that it was because of them that Jesus was put to death. Now, I believe that that, that some of these people that, that Peter was addressing, you know, were, were some of the, the same guys who were some 50 plus days earlier, yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. And now here they are at the Feast of Pentecost, after all this had already happened, you know, wondering, man, could have that been him? You know, could that be him? He would make a mistake. And Peter just straight cut throat, you know, and it just points it out. It says, "Yeah, that was him." "He's him who whom you guys crucified, you know, him who whom you guys saw his signs, you saw his wonders, you saw his miracles. You knew that he was proved by God. That was the Messiah, and him God has raised up from the dead." We see that Peter gives scriptural basis now for the resurrection as it relates to Messiah. You know, we know that 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 now within the, the the religious Jews, you know, there was. Pretty much a, a, a party that was split into the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were, were the more you know conservative, you know, uh, religious leaders. You know, they believed in, 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 in Moses and the, the prophets. You know, and and the whole the whole council of, of God's word. You know, and the Sadducees they were more uh, liberal. You know, they didn't believe in things like angels, like uh, the resurrection, uh, like like certain things like that. You know, but, but Peter here now he's giving them scriptural basis for the resurrection. You know, as as it's concerning the Messiah, and we see that that Peter first quotes from Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, and he focuses in on verse 10, which he says, "For you will not leave my soul and shield." What David wrote he says, "For you will not leave my soul, my soul and shield, nor will you allow your holy one to see corruption." And if you're reading that right away, you're gonna notice that that, that if, if you go to the Psalm, Psalm 16, you know, and you read it here in, in, in Acts, you'll notice that the New Testament substitutes the word Sheol, you know, for Hades. There, there in, in Psalms in the, in the Old Testament, it uses the, the, the Hebrew word, you know, Sheol. But here in the New Testament, it, it uses the word Hades. Now Hades, Hades is a Greek translation for the word Sheol, for the Hebrew word Sheol, which is also referred to as, as hell, as a grave, you know, but it's not to be confused with the lake of fire there in, there in the book of Revelation, which is, which is called Gehenna. But the, this word here, this word uh, Sheol and, 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 uh, and Hades, you know, they're interchangeable. There's you know, the same Greek word for the Old Testament word of, of uh, Sheol. a basic definition of this word, you know, is, uh, is it's a word that used to describe the gathering place of the dead. The underworld, a place where the wicked are sent. And a place where the righteous are not abandoned to it. You know, Sheol, Hades. Now, there in Luke 16, you don't, you don't have to turn there. It says Luke 16, it gives us a, a more insight about this place and the story of the rich man and Lazarus. If you guys have heard the story of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus begins to tell him the story. It wasn't a parable, it was, it was a story. He begins to tell them about the rich man and Lazarus. Maybe, and it seems to, to describe Hades as a place, you know, of two chambers. You know, one was a place of great suffering where the rich man was. And another place was, was, a, was a place of comfort where, where, where Lazarus was. It, was. it says that he was there with Abraham comforting him. You know, so one is a place of torment, and the other is referred to as, as Abraham's bosom. You know, and it's a place of comfort for the righteous who died in faith before the resurrection of the Christ. Now, this was some, of, some sort of a waiting place for those souls who died before the finished redemptive work of Christ. Because. Recall there. Uh, I believe it's in Luke four eighteen. Jesus goes into the temple. He opens a scroll, and and it's a scroll of Isaiah Isaiah sixty one. And he goes on to say, "The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me." He goes on to say to preach captive to to preach liberty to the captives. You know, what i was talking about is, is is these. It's not it's not the it's not that these guys are, are in prison. You know, but they're 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 in captivity. They're in Abraham's bosom because Christ had not yet died and resurrected and ascended to the Father so, so this redemptive work of Christ was not yet finished so in the Old Testament when, when the Old Testament believer would, would die in faith you know, they would go to this place this place shield you know and, and again this place shield was was divided into two chambers one a place of suffering and torment for the wicked and, and another a, a place of, of comfort you know for the righteous in faith so before the old before the, the New Testament before Christ had ascended you know and, and uh, ascended to the Father, you know, and, and finish this, this redemptive work on the cross. The Old Testament believers when they would die, you know, they would they would be sent to this place. You know, it wasn't a place of suffering. You know, though, if he was a believer, he died in faith, but it was a place pretty much like a waiting room. You know, what I mean, if you guys have ever been busted, you go to you, know, you go to court and then you're in a, in a holding tank until it's time to go. You know, it's kind of like that type of thing. You know, they're, where they're just waiting until until you go to the final place. You know, and, and while they were there, you know, they, they were being comforted says, by Abraham. That's why it's called Abraham's bosom. And so the, the psalmist David, uh, the psalmist David, he goes on to say there in verse 10 of Psalm 16, it says, For you will not leave my soul in shield, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now the second part of that verse says, Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now Peter expounds on this verse, you know, and he points out that the writer of this, which is David the psalmist, also known as David the prophet, is long dead and buried. So he's telling them, Hey, look, David wrote David wrote this, you know, David, the psalmist, David, King David, you know, the, the, the prophet, he, he wrote about this, but he wasn't speaking about himself. So he begins, he begins to give him a little Bible study, man. And again, this is not the same Peter that, 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 that we know, you know, previous, uh, you know, previous to, to, the, to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You know, Peter, again, remember, he's just a typical fisherman, you know, blue collar guy, not tired, untrained. I mean, he had the best training because he walked with the Lord for three and a half years. You know, but 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 he's standing up and he's addressing thousands of devoted religious Jews. You know, guys who had been trained up in the school of of the Pharisees since they were little kids. You know, who, who had learned how to how to how to read and write Torah, and how to recite it, how to teach it. You know, and here comes Peter, man. There's no more guy that the Lord is not using because he is baptized with the Holy Spirit and empowered with this new dynamic of the Holy Spirit. And he's addressing these thousands of religious guys. You know, without a without a a, a, a hint of intimidation. Begins expounding the scriptures to them. And he, he takes them there to Psalm 16. and He says, hey, David wrote about this. But obviously, you know, he's dead. Look, his tomb's right there. We're looking at it. It's, it's before us. He's been long dead and gone. He says David was not speaking about himself. You know, but, but he referred to, you know, to, to his seed whom he knew that God had promised, you know, to bring forth from him. So he says, so David could not have been referring to himself, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, he prophesied about the Messiah that God would raise him from the dead. Then Peter says, this Jesus is the one. He says, hey man, he begins to tie the Old Testament scriptures to, uh, to what they were already wondering in their minds and their hearts. To what he had already addressed. He says, this Jesus of Nazareth. He says, That's him. That's whom the scriptures spoke about. That's whom David spoke about. That's whom David prophesied about. He says, this is him. He says, this this is Jesus. So now we see that, that, that he is confronting. He is confirming what everyone there was already thinking. You know, or at least had wondered in those 50 days since Jesus was crucified. Again, word about this this unique crucifixion, you know, would have spread throughout all the land there. Again, this wasn't a normal crucifixion. You know, guys were getting crucified all all day there in Rome. You know, it wasn't it, Jesus wasn't the only one who was crucified. You know, but thousands and thousands of people were crucified. But what made the crucifixion of the Christ different was that when he was crucified, one of these supernatural acts that happened that day that would have made him stand out, and then of course the resurrection. So no doubt, you know they were already talking about it. Paul, there, I think in 1 Corinthians 15, as he's as he's describing, you know, the 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 risen Christ, he says that 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 Christ when he arose from the dead says that he appeared to 500 people at once. So no doubt, I mean, this this isn't something that just kind of flies under the radar. You know, these guys were already wondering. And Peter's now addressing, and he says, "Hey, this Jesus of Nazareth, the one who you crucified, that was him." He goes on to say there in verse 33, it says. And so we see that peter confirms that what just took place was an act of the risen messiah you know it, it, was, it was as a result of of of, of god raising raising his, his messiah from from the dead you know and, and pouring out the promise of the holy spirit now peter's just confirming it to them you know so he's saying well hey if, if, what you guys are wondering about is it wasn't an act of drunkenness it wasn't something that you know something that, that just happened but this is what the what this is a promise from the father you could, just, you could just imagine the crowd's reaction to this, you know. It's like, all right, he's got their attention, you know. I mean, I, I, I picture myself there, you know. And I could just imagine Peter there addressing the thousands there in the crowd, you know. And I could just imagine all of them just, just listening attentively, you know, with their mouth open, you know. And just realizing, man, we've crucified the Messiah, you know, that was him. You know, we had our doubts, but now we know for sure that was him. What now? You know, what now? So he's got their attention. We see that Peter ends his message with letting them know. He says, be sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that this Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Now, the crowd has has an option now. The crowd now has either to recognize that they crucified their Messiah. Or they can harden their hearts still toward the message. And really, that's how it works even still today I mean we go out there we share the gospel we preach the gospel we give our truth and we can't force anybody to come to the Lord we can't force anybody to repent we can't force anybody to say you know what I, I want to receive the Lord or I want to give my life to God or you know what I, I recognize that all you're say, everything you're saying is true and, and I want to follow God you know we can't force anybody you know but we present a message and people are left with the with 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 one or two responses you know they can either reject Christ or or come to him fully you know, and there's no one between. I mean, people say, ah, oh, well, I mean, I don't, I'm not rejecting them. You I, mean, I just, I'm just, you know, I just don't want him. You know, it's like, no, the, Jesus said, hey, if you're not for me, you're against me. There's no, there's no, there's no middle ground. You know, if, if, if you, if you neglect to, to receive the Lord into your heart and to receive him as Lord and Messiah, by default, you're rejecting him. So now we see that Peter addresses the crowd. He leaves them with one of, one of two, you know, options. Either, man, either recognize that, that yeah, that you crucified your Messiah or harden your heart to the message still and, and go on with your, with your lives. It goes on to say there in verse 37, it says, Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. And I said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call and with many of the words he testified and exhorted them saying be saved from this perverse generation then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and in fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers I'll stop right there it says and in prayers so now we see the crowd's response you know, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart, the Bible says. It says that they were cut to the heart. Now, notice that it took the preaching of God's word to bring about this, this, this cutting of the heart. You know, notice that that's what it took. That's all that Peter did is that, hey, he referred them to the Old Testament scriptures. He preached God's word to them. You know, confirming that, 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 that what had just took place was a, was a, was a fulfillment of, of Old Testament scripture, Old Testament prophecy. What he did is he, he preached God's word to them. And that's what the Bible says. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews four twelve, it says, "For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart." We see it's always about God's word. It always was about God's word. You know, people, a lot of ministries, a lot of big churches, a lot of churches for the for the most part. You know, they're, they're, they're into these programs, you know, they try to do things to, to reach the people and to get people to come to church, you know, and, and they neglect the preaching of God's word. You know, they neglect, they neglect the teaching of God's word, you know, and they're into these, you know, these programs and they're following the latest thing. And, the, and, and they go to these seminars saying, you know, they're trying to figure out you know, what's the next, you know, cool thing that the, that the youth is doing, that the people are doing that the people are into now. So you get them into the church. You know, and, and yet they, they neglect the preaching of God's word and we see that, that it was, it's always been about God's word you know, the, the very first you know, evangelistic message ever preached which we're reading right now by Peter think about it, that's the first gospel message ever preached and this is the birth of the church here the first gospel message ever preached and, and, and it's bathed in scripture bathed in scripture we see that in regards to salvation the emphasis is always on the word of God I mean a person cannot be saved apart from, from, from believing what the word of God says You know, we can't lead anybody to salvation. We can't lead anybody to the Lord apart from sharing them what the the scripture says. It's God's word that's living and powerful. It's God's word that brings transformation in the heart. It's God's word, you know, God's word is the reason why all of us are here today. You know, God's reason is the word why all of us, you know, decided to to, to make a conscious decision of, of following Christ. I love what it says there in Isaiah 55. There in 10 and 11, it says, For as the rain comes down, it says, as the rain comes down and snow from heaven and do not return there, but water to the earth and make it bring forth and, and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, says the Lord. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it to do. It says, that's what the Lord says he says hey man he he says just like the water comes down from heaven and the snow comes down you know and and it doesn't it doesn't come down for no reason but it has a purpose the purpose is that it would water the earth you know so that the earth will bring forth you know but he says so shall my word be that comes out of my mouth it doesn't go out without a purpose you know but it's going to accomplish what I sent it out to do we see here that that in in this case you know the the accomplishing of of God's word brought them to repentance you know brought them to a a, a cutting of the heart recognizing and we crucify the Christ in our lives, you know, the Word of God, it has a purpose in our life as, as we're in the Word, as we're taught the Word, as we're hearing the Word, as we're, as we're reading the Word. You know, it, it, God sends it out for a specific purpose in, in, in our lives. And we see now that, that it's important when given the opportunity to share God's Word. You know, that is what will have the lasting effect on someone, is God's Word. It's not, I mean, yeah, there's a place for testimonies, there's a place for, for, for all these other things. But ultimately, it comes down to God's Word. I mean, I remember... I won't get into a story because we don't have time. (laughs) Maybe I'll share it afterwards. Again, the importance of God's Word, you know, sharing God's Word with somebody. You know, that's the importance. And again, if given the opportunity, I mean, I know that people ask me all the time and even I've prayed about it and I wonder, I'm like, man, Lord, what if I'm in this situation and this happens? Or what if this or that? Or what if somebody asks me this or that? You know, and and it's like the Lord told me, like, give him my Word. Give him my Word. All right. I mean, a couple weeks ago, you know, we did a funeral and and, and, you know, and I was like, man, even the, like that very morning, I was like, man, Lord, what am I going to say? I'm thinking, Lord, I, I don't know. I'm like, I couldn't come up with anything to write down or anything. I'm just praying, like, Lord, what am I going to say? And, and the Lord just, Holy, the Holy Spirit just so, so, so naturally just spoke to me and said, my word, give him my word. Like, All right, Lord, yeah, it's true. Give <laughs> him give you your word. If nothing has changed, you know, the, the importance, the emphasis is always on God's word. And when, again, when we the opportunity, hey, don't neglect don't to give out God's word. You not to focus on oh know oh, i don't know you know uh, chapter and verse and book chapter and verse and i'm i don't consider myself a good you know like uh i don't have a really good memory you know i would just say the bible says that's good enough you know the bible says don't worry about it if you can't remember the book and the chapter and the verse and the reference and the whatever you know, the word of god says again it's god's word it's god's word that convicts you know it's not chapter and verse you know the the, the word is what's inspired the chapter and verse is not inspired You know, the chapter and verse was added afterwards. So don't focus so much on like, oh, I can't remember the chapter and verse. That's not the inspired part. You know, the inspired part is God's word. As long as you remember God's word. And so we see Peter's answer to the response. So they said, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were asking each other, what shall we do? What do we do now? We recognize that. It's our fault. We crucified the Christ. What do we do? And we see Peter's response. So notice that... uh, (laughs) That Peter didn't lead them in a sinner's prayer. You know, he says, all right, guys, this is what you could do. Uh, repeat after me. You know, and, and all that. You guys remember a couple weeks ago, you know, as we started the, 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 the book of Acts, you know, I mentioned to you guys how, how, how the Lord put it in my heart, you know, as we go through the book of Acts and as we're reading through it and as I'm reading it through it in my personal time, you know, that, you know, he kind of just impressed in my heart that, 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 that yeah, you know, that, that sometimes, you know, the church, we do things that 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 are maybe you know that are, that the early church never did or they never practiced, they never taught, you know. And some of those things are not bad things, you know, but they're just sometimes extra weight or just extra things that we just pick up along the way because it's the church thing to do or the Christian thing to do. And you know, one for example is the sinner's prayer. I mean, I don't read of the sinner, sinner's prayer anywhere in the Bible. You know, the Bible never, never, it never talks about a sinner's prayer. You know, there in the Book of Acts, the the birth of the church the very first gospel message we see you read through the rest of the book of acts as as many people are coming to the Lord you know not once do you read of a sinner's prayer not once do you read of Paul or Peter these guys saying all right guys repeat after me this and that you know now with that being said I mean I'm not I'm not bashing it I'm just saying it's not in the down the scripture you know I mean I I, I lead people in sinners prayers you know, I do it, you know, it's not like a it's not like a, it's not a sin or anything, you know, and, and definitely helps people to recognize, you know, the, the the choice that they're making and it helps people to, to, to kind of just lead them, you know, and in and, and a prayer with the Lord and that's very helpful. But, you know, this is I say this to say this, you know, that, that don't put so much, you know, emphasis on like, oh man, why well, gotta lead them in a the sinner's prayer? You know, I remember a couple of years back when we were right there in Old San La Puente we were we're evangelizing there in Old San La Puente. You know, I I was with another brother we're talking to this young kid man we talked to him for like no kidding for like an hour and a half this guy had so many questions he was like so ripe like he was just man like there already you know he was like ready to believe in the lord he was ready to just be baptized and get saved and you know and whatever he was right there i remember we were talking for like an hour and a half just a lot of questions we gave him a lot of answers we encouraged him a lot Pray for him this and that and the other you know and, and 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 so like as we're finishing talking to him you know after all that you know, I remember asking him, "Hey, bro, would you mind if I, if I pray with you?" You know, so you give your life to the Lord. And, he's like, and you know, he was. There was a lot of people around, you know. So his friends were over here skating at the at the city hall, you know. And uh, he kind of looked around. He's like, "Oh, he's like, no," he says, "I'm good, I'm good." I was like, "Come on, bro, let me just pray with you." I was like, it's gonna take two seconds, I promise. He's like, he's like "No, no, I'm good, I'm good." And uh, and I was like, I was like, I was like, "I promise, it's gonna be quick. It's not weird or anything." You know, and he's like, no, I'm good, man, but, but thank you, thank you though, for everything you shared. And he took off, you know, he took off, he skated off. And we're walking away, you know, and then and then uh the brother I was with, he's like, Man, dude, we're so close. We're so close. And I was as we we're walking, you know, I was like the Lord ministered to me, like, like, what do you mean? You know, salvation is by faith, is is by faith, is through grace, by faith. You know, salvation doesn't come through a sinner's prayer, but salvation comes when somebody believes in their heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and that God raised him from the dead. You know, and as we were talking with them, he believed. You know, I remember talking to him, like, bro, you believe in Jesus? Yeah, man. And and he's like, but I have questions about it." We answer all his questions, you know, and, and, you know, talking about the resurrection, everything, like heavy stuff. You know, we give him like a little mini Bible study. And he's like, yeah, man, I believe that. He's like, yeah, bro, why, why wouldn't I believe that? I, yeah, I believe God, man. Yeah, I believe that the Bible is true. Yeah, I believe this. Yeah, I believe Jesus rose from the dead and all this stuff. But we didn't live in, in a sinner's prayer. You know, and it's like my brother walked away so so discouraged and as we we're walking like the Lord just managed to be in the cave. It's not the sinner's prayer that saves somebody, you know. But it's their faith in the resurrected Christ that that saves a person. You know, and I say this to say this, you know, don't don't be discouraged if you're out there sharing with somebody, with a coworker or with a family member, you know, and, and and you know, and the conversation's going good or whatever, you know, but but you don't need them in a prayer. It's like, oh man, don't don't walk away discouraged because you don't know what the Lord's gonna do in the heart. You don't know what the Lord already did in the heart. If you walk away and, 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 and they place their faith in Jesus, you know, as, as they were talking to you or or if you walk away and they place their faith in Jesus as they were walking away or whatever, hey, they're saved. You know, the Bible says that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. You know, and then the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible says that, that that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, there's no mention of a sinner's prayer in. Again, this is not to, to, to bash it or anything. I'm just pointing out the obvious. It's not. It doesn't. The Bible doesn't talk about it. Am I going to stop using it? i ah, probably not because it's very practical. And, you know, it's, 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 it gives me something tangible to hold on to. And, oh, Lord, yeah, you prayed it. You know, it's, it, I guess I feel like it's kind of like for us, you know. But we see that, again, that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. So don't, don't be discouraged, again, if you're talking to somebody, sharing with them, and you didn't lead them in a prayer. We see that Peter's response. His response, he said, "Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins." Now, repentance is something that that takes place in the heart, you know, and, and is expressed hourly by a commitment to walk with Jesus. He says, "Hey, repent!" So they're they're realizing, "Hey, man, we crucified the Messiah, we crucified the Lord, we crucified you know Him whom, whom the Scriptures spoke about. What do we do now?" And and Peter says, "Repent, repent from what you did." You know, now now this word repentance, you know, it, it, it gives. A picture of a, of a turning of 180 it's like i always describe it as this you know it's like if you're walking one way oh man you know i repent that's the u-turn and go the other way and it's something that happens in the heart you know so he's telling him hey well, turn away from what you did you know repent from from, from what you did something happened in the heart he says and be baptized you and be baptized in the name of jesus christ for the remission of sins you know so again repentance is something that happens in the heart you can't don't be, again, don't be discouraged if you, if you share it with somebody and you don't see my church the next day or whatever. It's like, hey, they repented. If they repented and really believed in the Lord, then, then who might have said that they're not saved just because they didn't show up to, to Calvary Chapel City Terrace or whatever? You know, it's, they're, they're saved, you know, according to what the Bible says. Now, again, Peter continues and, and to, to encourage and exhort them in their new faith. It says, it says right there, that, that he continued to exhort them. And he's told them, be saved from this perverse generation. That then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Now that tells me that, that some didn't gladly receive his word. But for those who did, it says that they were baptized, and that day about three thousand souls were added to the church. Three thousand souls were added to, this, to the to the to the church in the first sermon that Peter ever gave. You know, the first sermon of of the of the, of the church, the first evan- evangelic miss uh, um ministry, the first evangelic message ever given. Three thousand souls were added to the church. Now, this is awesome, you know, because Again, it says that those who received his word were baptized and added to the group of believers. Now, this is significant because if you guys remember a couple of weeks ago, as we were talking about the Feast of Pentecost. You know, and the significance of the Feast of Pentecost, you know, according to the Old Testament scriptures. You know, I say one thing that that, that, that takes place at this Feast of Pentecost was that the Jews would bring their, their the first fruits of their grain offerings unto the Lord. And their first fruit of the wheat offering unto the Lord. As, as a as a symbol of their thanksgiving for what god was about to do you know so you know the first sprouts they bring it to the lord and, and they give it to the lord without even seeing the rest of the harvest yet but by faith just thanking god for what he was going to do in their harvest and then and trusting god that he would bring forth a harvest now it's significant because they're at the now at the feast of pentecost to get out to the spiritual realm to the spiritual application of it They're at the feast of pentecost on you know, the feast of the first fruits you know where, where where they were to thank god for the harvest that he was about to bring the first message is preached. The first gospel message is preached, and, and we see that, that there's a great harvest, three thousand souls, a great spiritual harvest. Again, if you guys remember, we we, we mentioned that, that the feast of Pentecost is the only feast, is the is the only other of the feast of the of the Jews that has no historical significance, you know, as as a, as, a, as it pertains to their history or to or, or to the nation of Israel. All the other feasts all the other uh, the feasts of, of of Israel, you know, they have to do with some kind of you know commemorance or, or remembrance of something that God did in their past. You know, the feast of Passover, you know, they they they, they were practiced every year, you know, remembering what God did there in Egypt as as the angel of the Lord passed by and he spared the firstborn. You know, every single one of those feasts, you know, has a significance for for the Jew, except for the Feast of Pentecost. You know, there was no historical significance to it. And we see that that, that, that that God was preparing you know, God, God was preparing them for what, for what was about to take place here at the day of Pentecost in the New Testament church, which is why He established His Feast of Pentecost. Amazing. in verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, I'm just going to expound a little bit on, on, on that, and, and we'll end right there. It says that they continued steadfastly in, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in prayers. So we see here the, that the first century church you know, is, is modeled right here for us. You know, the first century church, what do they do? They continue steadfastly in the apostle's doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and of prayers. So that they continue steadfastly in these four things. And, and really, these were the foundational characteristics of, of, the, of the early church, of the first church. These were the foundational characteristics. And it wasn't, they did this just once or just this time when the, at the Feast of Pentecost when all these people were saved. No, it says that they continue steadfastly in them. The first thing that mentions is, is 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 doctrine. And again, th- this word steadfastly means it means devoted. You know, so they continued devotedly to this. They devoted their lives to it. You know, it so says that they were attentive to. It. They they persevered in. They, they were they were to be constantly ready for this. So they stayed, They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the first thing that it mentions. Doctrine. Notice that it didn't mention. You know, a prayers first, or a breaking of bread first, or a fellowship first, but doctrine. I think this is significant. You know, I'm not saying that prayer is more important than doctrine or doctrine. But I believe that the Holy Spirit has inspired Luke to write this. You know, I believe that He inspired Him to put doctrine first for a reason. Now, the first thing mentioned That they continue steadfastly in doctrine. Now, that's the first characteristic of the early church. You know, this was their devotion to sound doctrine, to the apostles' doctrine. Their devotion to sound bible teaching something that the church today lacks you know immensely and we see that that instead you know most churches you know instead of teaching sound doctrine instead of teaching sound you know a uh, bible study sound biblical messages you know they, they, they turn towards entertaining the church or and, and this ent- we see this entertainment gospel you know and this a uh, postmodern, you know gospel now in the churches and, and and i mean we're blessed but we live here in la county and Orange County and pretty much all Southern California, where 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 you know where the Lord blessed a, a, an awesome teaching ministry, which we're a part of, you know. But you go to the Midwest and, and nobody knows what Capri Chapel is. Nobody does a verse by verse, you know, chapter by chapter Bible teaching. You know, you go to other countries and 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 and, no, and nobody's doing that. I mean, it's very rare. It's very rare that you go somewhere else and you find a, a church that is teaching the Bible, not teaching from the Bible, but teaching the Bible. That's the difference. You know there's a lot of churches that teach from the bible they teach their own message or they teach their own ideas or or whatever and they use scriptural you know scriptural they use scriptures to to, to support their message or whatever they teach from the bible but not teach from not teach the bible and we see that that this was an important characteristic of the early church was their devotion to sound doctrine to the apostles doctrine now interesting that that, that paul that paul actually talks about this there in second timothy you know, 2 Timothy, Timothy 3.16, excuse me, he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then we see that, that Paul warns Timothy that the time will come. He says, hey, the time will come when people won't be able to stand sound doctrine. They won't be able to endure it. There in 2 Timothy 4.3, he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves, teachers. Meaning he says, hey, the time's going to come where, where where people are not going to endure sound doctrine. Meaning they're not going to be able to stand it. You know, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to listen to it. They don't want to hear sound doctrine. Why? He goes on to say, because because according to their own desires, you know, and, and because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves, teachers. You know, meaning that that, that people will, will, will not want to, to, to deny themselves you know, and of course, you know, the, the, the Bible teaches self-denial. I mean, Jesus said, he who, whoever desires to, to be my disciple, then pick up his cross, you know, and, and, and follow me. You know, now the cross was the instrument of death. And we see that this call to the ministry, this call to, to follow the Lord is really a call to death, you know, and, and death to self. You know, and, and, and death to our, to our own, you know, carnal ambitions and death to our own desires. You know, but paul says that, that that the time will come when people you know be, because their own desire because their own desires are greater than than, than, their, than their desire to follow god says that they will not endure sound dodging they'll have itching ears you know they want to just be tickled in their ears they want to just listen to something that's gonna you know make them walk away and say oh that was a good message all right man on whatever onto you know living like cow for the rest of the week you know and uh, until next sunday and oh, that was a good message. Oh, no, no one got offended. No one got, you know, convicted. You know, no one, whatever. He says, they will have itching ears. They will heave up for themselves, teacher. So Paul said, the time will come. He told Timothy, the time will come. And really, the time has come. We're living in this in this time that, that Paul was talking about. The time has come. He warned Timothy, hey, it will come. The time has come. Here we are now. The time has come. People don't want to hear the truth. You know, people can't stand the truth. They can't endure sound doctrine. You know, I mean, I have so many crazy things I could say about this, you know, but for for lack of time, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll refrain from saying them. Now, we see that, that that people would rather, you know, would rather you lie to them than to tell them the truth about what the Bible says, you know, about their sin, about their life, about, you know, what they have to do to get right with the Lord, about, you know, just life, you know, everything pertaining to life. People would rather that you just lie to them, you tell them something, you know, that's not going to offend them, you tell them something that's going to just... You know, comfort them and to tell them the truth, even if it hurts. You know, and, and, and you know, there used to be a saying, I don't even think it's said anymore, you know, but, but uh, there used to be a saying that, you know, that, that hey, if you love somebody, you know, you're going to tell them the truth. You know, and I remember growing up and, you know, I would have my homies and we'd be, you know, like doing crazy stuff, you know, and sometimes I would get too crazy and they'd be like, hey, bro, you know what, dude, you're a little out of hand, man. You got to just, you got to chill out a little bit. Like, All right, cool, man, thanks. And I recognize that because they love me, they're like, hey, dude, you're, you're, you're too crazy right now, man. You got to chill out. But now you know, we see that, that, that that's not even a thing anymore, you know, that people would rather you lie to them than in truth correct them or in truth tell them, you know, like, that they're wrong. This is the times that we're, that we're living in now, you know, and it says again that they would rather you lie to them. That's what Paul said. He, he warned us of that. He warned Timothy of that. You know, but now we see how important it is to continue steadfastly in the teaching of God's Word. I mean, it's something that, that, that the early church practiced, it's something that they continue steadfastly in. It's something that maybe the church study has lost. You know, the, the church as a whole. I mean, praise God for, for, for Bible teaching churches, you know, who, who continue in, the, in, in, in sound doctrine. You know, and, and I thank God for them. You know, I thank God for, for their ministries. You know, but for the most part, you know, that doesn't exist. For the most part, it doesn't exist. Again, we see the importance of it. You know, and then he goes on to say, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers see that as a body of Christ, we need each other. You know that's what the fellowship is. We need each other. This, this word fellowship here in the Greek is it's koinonia, and really, there's no there's no accurate English word to, to, to describe you know this, this this Greek word koinonia. The closer we get to it is, is fellowship. You know it talks about this this uh this, this this intimate you know passionate you know unity within the body of Christ. You know it, it's uh, it's but it's like in the Greek, like the word is so. It's so much more, it's so much, it's so much more richer than, than just our word fellowship. And we think of fellowship and we think, oh, hanging around, drinking coffee and, you know, talking about whatever. <laughs> you know, but, but that word koinonia, it, 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 it talks about this intimate, loving, you know, unity, this oneness within the body of Christ. But the closest word we have to that is fellowship. So the, our English translation says, in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. So again, as a body of Christ, hey, we need each other. And we need each other. No man is an island, you know. No, no, there's no such thing as, as solitary soldiers, as solitary disciples. We all need, you know, another brother in Christ to or sister in Christ to encourage us, to to uh, you know, a, a, a exhort us, to build us up. Like the Bible says there in, in Proverbs, you know, that as iron sharpens iron, so a brother sharpens the countenance of a friend. You know, it's hey man, it takes iron to sharpen iron, you know, and it takes a brother in Christ to sharpen a brother in Christ. You know, we, we need this fellowship. And it's something that the early church, you know, put a great emphasis on. And it talks about the breaking of bread, you know. the breaking of bread is, is the becoming one with each other in unity. You know, because traditionally there for the Jews, you know, when they would share a meal, you know, it's like, it, it, for them it, it has this, this idea of, of becoming one. You know, you're becoming one with the person that you're eating with. It talks about this unity, but also speaks about community, you know, which is the Lord's Supper. And, and, and it's something that the Lord commanded us to do, quote, as often as you remember. That's what Jesus says. Do this as often as you remember and something that the early church practiced often you know and then says the breaking of bread again we talked about that and the last thing he says prayer and and prayer oh how you know the church today desperately needs prayer it needs to come back to to this important foundational principle of the early church which is prayer so we as you read through the book of acts you know it's like everything that they did was bathed in prayer you know, they didn't do anything without bathing it in prayer first. You know, and, and I'll be the first to to raise my hand and say, "Hey man, I, I'm lacking here in this area." You know, if you guys ever you know remember your prayers, or, or, or then pray, pray for my prayer life. You know, because I want a richer prayer life. You know, and I recognize, "Hey man, I'm not I'm not a prayer warrior." You know, and I'm not you know where I should be in my prayer life with the Lord. You know, but I want to be. and I'll be the first to recognize, like, "Hey man," people ask me, "Hey, how can I pray for you? How can this?" I like, hey, "Pray for my prayer life." You know, I want a rich, deep, you know deep prayer life with the Lord and again prayer it's listed last but I believe it's of great importance you know and uh, I want to quote to you something by E.M. Bounds from his book uh, Power Through Prayer he says the holier a man is the more does he estimate prayer the clearer does you see that God gives himself to the praying ones and, the, and that the measure of God's revelation to the soul is a measure of the soul's longing and prayer for God Salvation never finds its way to a prayerless heart. The Holy Spirit never abides in a prayerless spirit. Preaching never edifies a prayerless soul. Christ knows nothing of prayerless Christians. Ouch. The gospel cannot be projected by a prayerless preacher. Gifts, talents, education, eloquence, God's call can never abate the demand of prayer, but only intensify the necessity for the preacher to pray and to be prayed for. And the importance of prayer in the life of the believer. Again, it's one thing that, that, that the early church, you know, held on to dearly. You know, that they practiced, you know, often. That it was one of their foundational, you know, foundational principles uh, for the early church. And we see how powerful the early church was. And the group, the early church started here in his upper room with 120. You know, the first message, 3,000 souls get saved. And, and soon it spread from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the world. And now here to East L.A. Like man, and, and why? Because because of their of their foundational principles, the apostles' doctrine, you know, the uh, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and their prayer. Uh, and it's my heart, my heart is, you know, finished with this. My heart is as, as we're you know getting doing this new church plan, and as maybe this is like a, a, a new season for all of us, you know, whether you're involved in a new church plan or a new ministry or wherever it may be, you know. But it's a new year, it's a new dynamic, new everything, you know. And my prayer is that is that we'll enter just this, this new season with the Lord. You know, just going back to these foundational principles that the inner church had. Apostles doctrine, you know, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. You see that this is where the power was. This is where the power is. You know, and nothing's changed. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. You know, there's this something that, that, that I personally, in my personal life, you know, apart from, from the ministry and, and the corporate church, there's something that, that, that I want to return to, you know, that I, that I want to get to, you know, is, is, is a strong emphasis in my personal life in these four things. And I encourage you guys, you know, if you're maybe lacking, you know, in, in any one of these areas, hey, maybe maybe you're lacking fellowship. You know, maybe you're like you're the type of person where you're like, you know what, I, I love people, you know, yeah, I'm safe, but I just, I like being by myself. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, there really is nothing wrong with that. I mean, maybe you're more of an introvert. That's, that's fine. You know, people are, people are made differently. You know, but I would encourage you to, to, to find one brother, find one person, find one believer, you know, who, who you could just share your heart with. You know, and, and who you could just you know that, that if you need prayer, if you need if something, if you're going through it, you know that you could hit them up, and they're always going to answer the phone call, or at least get back to you, and you know, and, 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 and pray for you, and be there for you. I mean, again, we're not we not an island. You know, if you're lacking, maybe and 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 putting that importance on, on the apostle's doctrine, on 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 the Bible, really on the on the Bible teaching, maybe your your personal devotional life is lacking. Hey man, just get up to the Lord right now. You know, maybe your prayer life is lacking. You know, maybe maybe the you know your fellowship whatever it may be you know we're gonna take we are gonna take communion now and, and uh and this is kind of you know an opportunity to just close any open tabs that you have with the lord you know if, if you have any any open tabs and you know i was just hey close them close them right now you know and just uh, take the time to kind of just uh uh reflect in your heart you know where, where you've been with the lord and and kind of what he's impressing your heart and what and, and what he's desiring to take you and, and and maybe you know maybe you recognize like man the last time I took, the, I took a communion, you know, I, been, I was struggling with this thing and I told God, I was going to, that's it after this, I'm not going to do it no more. It's been a month and I'm still doing it. Hey man, just close tabs, or whatever it may be. You know, this is, this is an awesome time to just, really uh, Brother Gabriel passes out the communion, this is an awesome time to just, again, talk to the Lord, you know, right there where you're at in your heart and just recognize and, 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 and you know, God already knows where we're at in our hearts, you know, what we're struggling with, what we're going through and if your life has been amazing, walk with the Lord and, and just thank God for that as well we're going to take communion now and we see that that uh, again it's something that the early church steadfastly continued in, you know was this communion and it's something that that, that, that we hear you know, we try to do it once a month but the Bible says to do it as often as you remember I mean you could you could do it while you're at home you know you could do it every week if you want and with your family you know with your, with, with your spouse whatever it may be you know not something that, that's limited Limited to church and to just once a month type of thing. You know, like the the Lord says do it as often as you remember. So with that, we're gonna so again just take